I'll organize revolt, exact a death for a death, and I'll never rest until every Saxon in this shire can stand up free men and strike a blow for Richard and England. Are you finished? I'm only just beginning. Is that better? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> okay, round two. Always worse than a second time. It always does, yeah. Welcome to Your Pick, a movie podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We're two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. All right, so Tatum, um, how was your week? How are you? Have you watched anything uh, notable recently that you feel like um, recommending? Yeah, um, my week was okay. I was a little bit sick this week, so uh, which typically means that I would have the opportunity to watch lots of things, but I think for whatever reason, I didn't. Um, But I did get the chance to, aside from watching the movie that we're discussing today, I did get to finally watch The White Lotus Season 2. I... I was not necessarily a fan of season one, so I was a little, I wasn't super excited on jumping onto the season two, but I just heard a lot of talk about it and obviously like nominations and all those things like that. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. And yeah, I turned it on at, I I don't know. I think I started at like 7 PM at night and I was like, okay, I'll watch one or two episodes. No, I stayed up until 2 AM and watched the (laughs) entire thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know if anyone has HBO max or is into the white Lotus. Uh, but if you have seen season two, I wish we could have a conversation about it because I'm obsessed. And if you haven't seen it and you're interested, go watch it right now. So yeah, that's basically what I've watched this week, but I mean, <laughs> that's like seven hours of something. So it's basically like three other movies anyway. So yeah, that's that's what I watched this week. Well, that's good to know because I um, I also watched season one and was sort of mixed on it. I, I I found it really good overall. But by the end, I was kind of like, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to spend any more time with these people. And I also don't know if I want to spend any more time with this concept in general of the White Lotus. Um so I wasn't sure if I wanted to check out season two, but maybe I will. If um, sounds like sounds like you liked it even more than than season one. I, I think they did a much better job of making the characters likable in season two. In season one, I just hated all of them. I couldn't even keep watching. I was like, these people are so unbearable. But <laughs> season two, they're still kind of unbearable, but not all of them. And even the ones that are, they're unbearable in like different ways. So it's easier to tolerate. And it's also just really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's good to know yeah this week i watched um i actually re-watched a um pretty small independent movie that came out um i think it's a, officially a 2021 movie from like a festival movie but i counted as a 2022 movie because it didn't uh it wasn't released wide until then but it's um it's called benediction and it's um, one of my favorite movies, I think, of 2022. It's just this quiet movie that I haven't seen many people talking about, but it's about 
Siegfried Sassoon, who was um, one of the war poets um, who served in World War I, and he wrote about his experiences in the trenches, um, the, the, you know, the trauma and the horror of war. And so it's about his um, experience during the war and then in the years afterward, you know, having lived through that trauma and seen so many of his, um, his friends and fellow sh- soldiers die as he gets swept up into kind of uh, 1920s and 30s, bright young things, um, sort of very bohemian, upper-crust English society. He has a lot of affairs with other men um, who are kind of uh, actors and writers and musicians and um, kind of in that sort of artistic upper-crust society. But he's sort of, you know, he's this character who's very... um, He's very sort of thoughtful and, and steady, and um, he really wants something that is sort of serious and grounded, and he really wants love, and he wants to be loved, and he wants to give love. And the, the people around him in his kind of upper crust society are just, he finds them to be very sort of um, lacking in anything that is so, solid or substantial, and that frustrates him. And so it, it's cutting between his younger self as he's working through all of these emotions and his older self, which is um, kind of very just disgusted by the world and just so tired and, um, yeah, just really, really struggling with, um, you know, being completely, feeling so alienated from a world that has just completely... Um, dismissed and ignored the experiences that he's gone through. And um, it intersperses, you know, it's it's kind of jumbling, jumping between different memories of his. So there's a lot of interesting editing where it's cutting between hit one experience and um, fading or to another one or fading to um, some real foot, uh, film reel footage of uh, World War One or um you know, there will be one of his poems overlaid as, as voiceover narration um, as he's kind of observing something about the world. And I think, yeah, it's just really, really beautifully directed, really beautifully edited. Um, Jack Loden, who is the plays uh, the younger version of Siegfried Sassoon, gives an absolutely astonishing performance. So, yeah, I would recommend if you haven't already um, heard of it or seen it, um, go check it out. It's a really, really worthwhile movie. I'm surprised we haven't talked about it before. I don't think you even ever told me when you watched it initially, which is odd. <laughs> I mean, not odd, but typically Geneva and I tell each other like everything that we mm-hmm. watch, especially if we really, really like it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's one that I sort of, I watched and I, I really liked it. And then I thought I need to sort of sit on this a while and process it further and maybe watch it again. And so I watched it again. And then like, now I'm like, yes, this is a, this is a great movie, and I wish more people had had heard about it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you watched it again. And, uh, yeah, I just – it's such a fun experience when you find a film that really, really touches you and, and just – yeah, it's – when Geneva and I were talking about, you know, making this podcast and what we wanted to call it, her and I both talked about movies being magical – and I feel like sometimes you just find a movie and, and it just creates magic for you. And it, yeah. And it's for each person, it's kind of different as to how that comes about and why it happens, but it's always exciting when that happens. So yeah. thanks for telling me about it, Geneva. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So um, today on the show, we will be discussing the 1938 film, The Adventures of Robin Hood, directed by Michael Curtis and William Keeley, and starting, starring Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Basil Rothbone, and Claude Rains. The film tells the story of Robin Hood, the English outlaw folklore who robs from the rich to feed the poor, romances the beautiful Lady Marion, and leads a band of merry men to take down the tyrannical Prince John and restore the good King Richard to the throne. Although this was not the first filmed version of the Robin Hood story, most notably Douglas Fairbanks played the, fil- the character in a 1922 silent version, the 1938 uh, version's iconic visuals and witty script are cemented in the cultural imagination as the definitive version of Robin Hood, and almost 85 years later, it remains the template for the swashbuckling action-adventure film. So, uh, I picked this movie. This is a of a perennial favorite um, with me, with my family. I've shown it to a lot of friends over the years. To me, it's just a sort of a really fun, rousing action-adventure film you can share with people of all ages, um, <clears throat> kind of all backgrounds, find some enjoyment in it. Um, but then it also, it's just, it's super well-made, um, and it looks great, um, you know, after all this time, but it also has some some really, um, you know, beautiful and important themes too, you know, to the extent that you can um, in the sort of action adventure genre. Um, but yeah, to me, this is just kind of the the peak of the genre. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. And I always love showing it uh, to other people for the first time. So Tatum, um, what is your history, if any, with this film? Is this the first time that you have ever watched it? And what were your overall thoughts? So I have zero experience with this movie. Um, <laughs> I couldn't remember if this was one that I'd shared with you. So I guess not. No. Yeah. I'd never seen it. And uh, Geneva don't kill me, but I'd never even heard of it. Um, <laughs> I remember... Actually, wait, let's, let's start. Um, okay. Do you have any prior familiarity with the Robin Hood story with the character? You know, any previous incarnations? Did you watch the the animated Disney version growing up, stuff like that? Uh, so the only version of this that I've seen is the Robin Hood Men in Tights. But that, <laughs> but that being said, Wait, I haven't, but that being said, I haven't even seen that movie in its entirety. Like it was always just, okay. or not always, but sometimes it would be on TV and it was just like, okay, I guess we'll watch this. I feel like, and th- th- I'm not saying this as a criticism whatsoever. I just think it's funny when these things happen. But I honestly feel like this, n- not necessarily the story, but all of the movies revolving around this story that like I've heard of or whatever that Geneva just referenced, I feel like they're very much so white people movies. Um, <laughs> I, maybe I'm just... You're not wrong. <laughs> yes. So yeah, this is not something that I watched <laughs> growing up. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this was pretty much watching this. I didn't really know anything about it. Like I knew that Robin Hood is someone who helps the poor and that was it. Uh, and I knew that Russell Crowe played him in a terrible rendition directed by Ridley Scott that apparently sucked. So, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so that's, that's kind of my experience with it, which is zero experience. Um, but in terms of my reaction to it, um, I found this movie to be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't, 
I don't necessarily think that I will watch it again um, <laughs> because it was something where like I enjoyed it, but it was also like, all right, I get it. <laughs> um, but that being said, I do feel like I would have absolutely loved this movie as a child. I I am a big fantasy medieval sword fighting fan just in general. I read a lot of those types of books and watch a lot of those types of media. So I feel like the kid version of me would have eaten this all up and just loved it. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was fun. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about it because I feel like Geneva's because she has a lot more like a deeper relationship to it. I think that as she leads the conversation, it'll kind of, it will kind of remind me of things to say and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. <clears throat> glad you had the chance to, to see it for the first time. Um, so generally speaking, um, this movie was um, it was produced by Warner Brothers. So I'm just going <laughs> to did a lot of historical research, as is always the case with me. So I'm just going to spout off a couple of uh, trivia facts that I found, which were interesting. Um, so Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland, um, two stars of the 1930s and 40s, and they were paired together in eight movies total. Um, the first of their pairings, which I think was Errol Flynn's first Hollywood movie was uh, Captain Blood, which I highly recommend to anyone who enjoyed this. Um, Captain Blood is a lot of fun. Um, but the two of them just had amazing chemistry together. And so they ended up making a lot of movies together. Um, Michael Curtiz uh, was the director of Captain Blood, and he ended up being brought onto this movie to take over for William Keeley. Um, the Circumstances of Keeley leaving the production are not super clear. Their official story, I think, is that he got sick, but more likely he was fired because the studio was not satisfied with the um, his ability to handle the action scenes. Um, and Curtis was very familiar with it since he had directed Errol Flynn in several action movies by this point. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, one other fun fact that I found, well, fun for me, is that this movie was originally meant to star James Cagney. And if any of you know who James Cagney is, he's primarily known for, I well, two things, which one of which is gangster films, and the other of which is like song and dance musicals. Um, he's this like extremely talented, short little spark plug of, <laughs> spark plug of energy um, who's great at playing like CD gangsters or um vaudeville musicians and i cannot picture him as robin hood but that would have been interesting um anyway sorry i <laughs> i know none of this really means anything to you i just i like geneva out. this is this is your episode to host so <laughs> it it sh i hope these things mean something to you all right um anyway the other interesting thing that i read is that all of the um archery in this film was or at least uh, the head of the team who'd perform the archery, but I think most of it was done by him personally, was uh, Howard Hill, who was a professional archer. Um, the A lot of the shots of soldiers getting shot by arrows were done for real. They took extras and they basically just put a lot of padding on them <laughs> and paid them to get shot by arrows <laughs> by this uh, master archer. And... This uh -huh. This relates to something that I'm that I'm going to bring up later, but oh, sorry, boy. continue. 
In particular, and this blew my mind, the splitting of the arrow scene was done for real. It's not a trick. It's Howard Hill just being an absolute beast and being able to literally split an arrow. Um, I wonder how many takes it took. I know. I'm wondering that as well. I like to believe he just strolled up and definitely not one. It's definitely probably not. (laughs) Anyway, um, so Robin Hood in general, as a character, um, he is, you know, he's kind of a staple of English folklore. Um, He's very much set the blueprint, in my opinion, for later folk heroes like the Scarlet Pimpernel or Zorro. he there's you know it's very much the sort of action adventure swashbuckling genre but i think there's also some dna for the superhero genre as well and this idea of a hero who's willing to comes from the common people and is willing to stand up and protect those who are weaker than himself um this movie is very much a um trying to be more of a faithful adaptation of the legends and the folklore and so it's it's unafraid to be very archetypal, um, which is one of the things I like about it. You know, there's there's a simplicity to it. Um, you know, the good guys are good, the bad guys are bad, sort of a thing. A lot of the later versions of Robin Hood, like the um, the Russell Crowe one that you mentioned, um, or there's a really terrible Taron Egerton version from 2018. They try to be what? sort of, you know... Uh, very revisionist, like the the Russell Crowe one is like, this is, you know, the real historical story behind Robin Hood. And the Taron Egerton is, this is, um, you know, kind of quasi-modern, edgy, you know, version of Robin Hood. And I feel like Ridley Scott's tried to do that a few times. And every time he does it, it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing is like for Rob, the reason for me, the reason Robin Hood works is because of because of it it's a legend you know it's folklore you know it has to be larger than life it has to be kind of inspiring in a way that when you try and tie it down to all the sort of you know gritty historical realism or psychological conflict things like that it just strips away what is powerful about the story so anyway um yeah so let's talk a little bit about the the plot of the movie um so it starts with, you know, Prince John taking over the kingdom and um, Robin Hood or Sir Robin of Loxley, as he's known at the very beginning. So he's a Saxon noble. So he's one of the commoners, although a little bit elevated among them. But basically, he's got a rep already for being um, sympathetic to the Saxons and being willing to stand up against Norman oppression. And he sees a, a man being... Um, harassed and arrested for poaching um, to feed himself because he's starving and he steps in and he rescues the man and that gets him branded an outlaw. Um, and the villain the, who he confronts um, over the poaching is Sir Guy Gisborne, who's played by the wonderful Basil Rathbone, who just has a, a great sort of long lean face for sort of English villainy. He played roles like that many times. Um, and um, Prince John is visiting Sir Guy in his castle in Nottingham. And so Robin, shows, Robin Hood shows up and he, they basically have a showdown where Prince John is like, yeah, I'm going to be um, 
taking over the kingdom since my brother is away and I'm going to be raising taxes. Robin Hood's like, yeah, well, I'm going to do everything I can to stop you and get some branded and outlaw. So what are your, did you have any thoughts, Tatum, on the first part of the movie, on the, the setup and then in particular that confrontation scene in the castle? Yeah, I think, so for this film, I kind of took notes. I feel like majority of my thoughts actually have nothing to do with the plot. They just have a lot to do with the filmmaking itself. Mm. Because for me, maybe this is a bad thing for me to say, Geneva, I know this movie is very special to you. But to me, the plot did not really capture me as much as the filmmaking did. So I was kind of like, okay, the story, blah, blah. But look at the visual. <laughs> so I feel like as far as the plot goes, like I said, I don't have too many comments on it. But if we're just talking about like my initial thoughts in the opening parts of the movie, I um, I think so. One One thing that I wrote down was I think one thing that I struggle with whenever I watch movies, this is just any movie in general, but I don't like it when movies start with like words that you have to read. Because I always get so stressed out that like, what if I don't read it fast enough and then it goes away? <laughs> so then I read it so fast that I don't actually process what it says. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I have more time. Let me go back and read it again, but slower this time. And then I miss <laughs> it. So anyway, with any movie, it's always hard for me when it opens with like a title card or something like that, because I just get stressed out. <laughs> like, Will I understand the stakes? Will I be able to read it fast enough? Um, with this movie, I was able, I did have to read it twice, but I did understand it the second time around. Um, but yeah, I think one of the first things that I wrote, actually the first thing I wrote after that was there is absolutely no way this movie was made in 1938. I refuse to believe (laughs) that this movie was made in 1938. I don't, I just... I don't know how how they did this. I mean, I'd love to go back and look at like because I've seen a lot of movies from this time period, but I but I've never I would love to look at this history or the history of that time period of movies in relation to this film, because I don't know if it was like ahead of its time or if things were like this were happening at the same time or or what. But I was incredibly impressed by by the production design um and they had all of these big i don't know because you can tell right that they're printed backdrops but at the same time they're still i mean they're they look really good and i found that like you know a lot of the props were not real like the food and and things like that in certain cases but but they still they created such an amazing space that made it feel real even if the props themselves were not i i was very impressed with the wardrobe um so yeah i mean i have i have lots of comments throughout the movie in terms of like how it was made or how it looks i have thoughts about the stunts i have thoughts about like uh, just the camera movements and and all of that stuff and animal wrangling because I don't think animal wrangling even existed back then so a lot of these animals were probably being abused but um yeah uh but anyway yeah so I I don't know yeah I guess I'll just stop there because I, blah but yeah no <laughs> yeah, absolutely I, yeah 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 that's one the one thing about this movie it looks incredible um, I believe this was the first or one of the first Technicolor movies that Warner Brothers had done. Um, and it just looks 
so beautiful. As I was doing research, I was seeing things about like the director having people go and spray paint the trees so that they would look even more <laughs> richly green than they actually Can you were. imagine? Because mm-hmm. I did some research on this too because I was so impressed with the color. I was like, how did this work? And apparently it was supposed to be in black and white, but they switched it to color two months before they started shooting, which, yeah, last minute decision kind of, but whatever. But I was watching this movie and I was like, I cannot imagine watching this in black and white. I feel like so much of the movie, I feel like the colors are a character in this film. And I feel like if this movie had been in black and white, I would not have enjoyed it as much. I probably would have been bored to be honest, because visually it's just so engaging. And without that color, even though it was a last minute decision to add color, I think it was the right decision. So kudos to the, to the film crew for making that, uh, that, that 180 turn. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I certainly also can't picture it in, black and white. It's just, it's so vibrant. The There's this beautiful, beautiful shot very early on in the movie when we're first seeing Prince John talking to, to Sir Guy and they go, they're drinking wine and they go to kind of, you know, he goes to like pick up a paper or something like that. And he knocks, his elbow knocks this wine glass off the table and the wine is dripping onto the floor and it looks like blood. And just the, the lighting of it against the, the dark red of it, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's a very obvious symbol for what Sir Prince John is about to do to England, but it's just, it looks so, so beautiful. Um, This is also one of the movies that, you know, I get very picky or not picky, I guess, but I get so frustrated how many movies set in the Middle Ages there are where they're like, oh, it's the Middle Ages. They didn't have color, right? (laughs) Everyone just wears brown all the time, you know? And it's like, no, (laughs) color is is great. <laughs> People did have color back then. They they loved color. Um, and, you know, the costumes think- in this movie, they're not strictly historically accurate, but at the very least, it's a much more, I think, vibrant um, portrayal of the Middle Ages. And, you know, very true, I think, at least to the, the spirit of um, this, the you know, the sort of fantasy folklore elements of this movie. I will say, though, I feel like whether it's historically accurate or not, I feel like the tights are a bit much for me. I, <laughs> I just, there's, there's old men in tights. There's young men in tights. There's middle-aged men in tights. They're leaping over tables in tights. They're laying on the ground in tights. I'm just like, a lot of tights. I mean, couldn't, couldn't they just give Robin Hood tights and no one else? <laughs> well, hence why the, and it, it is, it is really funny to rewatch this movie. You know, I've seen Robin Hood men in tights many times and it's just really funny every time I rewatch this movie and I think about <laughs> certain scenes that are parodied in Men in Tights, specifically the scene where he recruits all his merry men and they have a like an assembly line set up to give out portions of their costume and they <laughs> the last station is the tights. I need to watch that movie again. It's been a long time. It is not one of Mel Brooks's best, but I enjoy it. There's a lot of there's just some really, really hilarious scenes. Carrie yeah. Boys, of course, is always great. Uh, Always great. I love him. Yeah. He's I was about to say RIP, and then I'm like, no, he's definitely <laughs> oh, still alive. <laughs> Don't jinx it. I'm like, I've, isn't he only like 60 something? He's not that old. Oh, yeah, probably not even that. Um, he was just in a Netflix Christmas movie last year, so he's still doing great. 
Oh, well, we all know how much I love Netflix Christmas movies. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. You didn't see Carrie Always' as, uh, Netflix Christmas No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, where were we? Um, oh, yeah, we were just talking about the the visuals. Yes. Uh, I The one caveat that I have to say to the amazing visuals is, and I don't know if you agree with this, but... For me, every single one of Maid Marian's costumes is like the ugliest thing I have ever seen. I don't know why they, what the costume department had it in for Olivia de Havilland, but she, the color combinations that they put her in are just so hideous. And it's very unfortunate because otherwise uh, she's perfect. But yeah, I just, I feel like, I feel like there was one dress that I liked but I don't remember which one it was. I remember seeing one of them and I just thought I like that one, but there was the could one. Could not tell you. Yeah. There's the one that she's in that's sort of blue and white. I think it's at the um, archery competition. No, not that one. Fun fact. I couldn't watch the archery competition. I had to look it up on Wikipedia because my DVD was super scratched because I got it from the library. Oh, no. I was able to watch the rest of the movie, but the okay. archery, the archery competition, I could not see. That one so. <gasps> I don't you know not what dress the, that was. Did you not see the splitting of the arrow then? No. Oh, all right. Well, an arrow yeah. gets split. It's pretty impressive. Mm, I believe it. All right. <laughs> Can um, I don't know. I don't know if, um, yeah, I just want to add something. Mm. <laughs> because I've like not seen this movie before or any iteration of Robin Hood other than Men in Tights, which was a long time ago and not even the whole movie. <laughs> I don't know the names of anybody. So I'm just going to say sure, that okay. guy who did that thing that one time or yeah. whatever. First of all, I love that uh, Robin Hood has like a guy who just travels around with him for the sole purpose of playing music. Yep. Uh, I, th- I mean, I think he contributes other things, but I'm pretty sure his main job is just to create vibes. Which I mean, don't you have your own like, dedicated minstrel? <laughs> um, yes, but they can actually play the instruments. <laughs> he's like so, so fakely play. Like he's not even trying. He's just moving his hand up and down. But anyway, I found I don't know if it's the character or that actor's performance performance, but. He was so creepy. He was very, very creepy. <laughs> the to guy me. who plays Will Scarlet. Like, I don't know what his name was. <laughs> the music guy. He was hella creepy to me, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know what's going on." But uh, I don't know. I think you might have someone locked in your basement. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> Does he come My- across as creepy to you at all, or, or no? No, not particularly. Just kind of that we're okay. talking about the the musician, right? you said yes yeah yeah no he just comes across as very like bland um okay like he's the one where it's just like he's kind of a pretty boy and that's kind of it yeah 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 i don't know not in a creepy way to me but um yeah yeah, i I don't know he was he was giving me creepy vibes either way he's (laughs) not a real real person so it's fine yeah, it's fine. My favorite thing about Will Scarlet is the fact that when, you know, after Robin has recruited his uh, his band of merry men and they're all in their, you know, uniforms of green and brown to blend in with the trees, Rob- Will Scarlet is still wearing bright red um, hat and the little cape thing because apparently red is his brand. So he just can't be without it. Gotta stay true to the brand. Speaking of staying true to the brand... I feel like part of Robin Hood's brand is and should always be having his hat on. He should not take that hat off because (laughs) his hair 
Not a fan of the 1930s so, girls? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> like every single scene where he takes off that hat, I'm just like, oh, brother, put no put it back on <laughs> i know it's not practical to always have it on but good grief G- get a new hairstyle or something this is a bit much well actually since we're talking about <clears throat> about it what are your thoughts on I, i'm assuming if since you haven't seen this movie before you probably haven't seen any other errol flynn movies before i've never shown you captain blood or anything like that i don't think so okay so yeah what were your thoughts on um Errol Flynn, if any, uh, in his portrayal of Robin Hood. Oh, Errol Flynn is the actor. I was like, is that the director? I don't know what's going on. No. I literally don't know the names <laughs> sorry, of like, anyone in this movie. I don't know the director. I don't know the actors. I don't know anybody. Um, he's played, I believe he's played by uh, Jude Law in The Aviator, one of your favorite movies. Who's Jude Law? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, Errol um, Flynn is the actor who plays Robin Hood. He was a he was an action star of the 1930s and 40s. Um, okay. Australian originally, uh, I believe. Okay. Fun, fun fact about Geneva and Maya's friendship. Geneva, I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was a few years few years ago, Geneva told me, she was like, oh yeah, that's right, Tatum, you don't know actors. And I was like, correction, Geneva. I know lots of actors. Did I say that? <laughs> yes, you did. You're like, oh, Tatum, I know you don't know actors. I'm like, yes, I do. I just don't know every single actor that has ever had their face I'm on camera sorry. ever. <laughs> Geneva has like a crazy talent. So I have this weird talent where I can just like remember entire movies. Like I could quote all of like, even if I've only seen a movie once or a TV episode once, I can quote things that no one else should know how to quote. Geneva, like she watches a movie once and there's some background character who's there for 10 seconds. And she's like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's so-and-so. And he, you know, he went from there to do something, but then he died and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that my brother made a cartoon about this, making fun of me for this exact reason? No. Oh, oh yeah. I need to see that. <laughs> Let's see awesome. if I can dig it out and show it to you. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Because <laughs> definitely... I'm like that with my family too. And my brother is like, you know, like my whole family to one degree or another can do this. And my brother was just poking fun of the fact that he thinks he like, you know, I mean, he's, he's pretty knowledgeable in movies, but then he goes home and hears me talking to like other members of my family. And he's just like, yeah, I apparently don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm very knowledgeable of movies, but I think it just doesn't go back as far as it does for Geneva. And also I, I remember like directors and cinematographers and production designers and all that stuff. But anyway, you were asking about apparently (laughs) the actor who plays Robin Hood. You were asking what was was his name? Yes. Errol Flynn is his name. Errol Flynn. Um, yeah, I actually I wrote down a few notes on his performance. I thought I, it's to me it almost felt like his performance was progressive for that time. I feel like I didn't really see actors giving performances back then who are very like he's super charming, but not in a classic like "Hello, can I buy you a whiskey?" type of charming. Like he genuinely is like, "No, I'm hot and I know it." <laughs> like I don't know. I just he just seemed. He was very charismatic, very charming, um, very full of himself, but like somehow not in an annoying way. Um, 
Yeah, I I really I really enjoyed his performance. I I thought that he brought to the character a really good balance of being super pompous but also being really humble and helpful depending on the scenario and and I feel like he they might have mentioned this in the movie at some point. I don't remember. But wasn't he like offered some position at court or whatever of like being a higher up lord or something and then he gave it up and he was like, "No, I'm going to help the Saxons or whatever. And so I think you can see that both sides of that in him of like, he can be this highbrow whatever and be sarcastic about it even, but then he can also be this gentle kind soul who cares for people who are starving or people who are, you know, dying or can fall in love with a woman that he just met or whatever. Um, Yeah. I, I liked the character of Robin Hood and I also liked I, yeah, I really liked Errol Flynn's performance a lot. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. Because for me, I mean, there's so much about this movie that I love and I think is great. But I think it's it's really one of those movies that rests on the shoulders of its lead actor. And I think he gives a fantastic performance. I mean, I, I would not say, you know, I've seen a couple Errol Flynn movies. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would say that he's like an all-time great actor or anything like that, but it's very much, this is a movie star performance. You know, he just has so much charisma and he makes it look so effortless. And it's a character that, you know, in the hands of someone else who is not as charismatic, it could be very bland. It could be very cloying. Um, You know, the, the character of Robin Hood, he's not flawless. He does have flaws, but he's not one that changes over the course of the movie, which is something that I find really fascinating about this movie and the way that it's structured is, you know, it's a movie that is centered around Robin Hood, but Robin Hood does not have the character arc. Maid Marian does. She's the one who um, is, we're basically seeing Robin Hood in a certain way through her eyes. And as she's becoming aware to the plight of the people who are, around her and aware to the um, of the injustices that are happening in her country, she's becoming radicalized and we're becoming radicalized along with her. But the person who's doing that radicalization, you know, it has to be this person who has, you know, just such a insanely, you know, charismatic, but also inspirational, um, you know, personality. And I think he just embodies that really beautifully. Um, he's so you know, he's so commanding on screen. So you want to follow him, but he's also, he has this goodness to him. You know, you, you feel like you can trust him. You feel like he's very genuine when he says that he wants to help people. Um, But then at the same time, he's also very, he's very cocky, you know, he's very sassy. He's very confident. Um, He's, um, you know, he's a little bit vain. Like that's one of the reasons that he's able to get caught later in the movie. Um, But He's just so full of life. And that's one of the things I love about this movie and why I think, again, you know, this version of Robin Hood really works where a lot of other ones don't is that, you know, when they try to make it more sort of historically accurate or, you know, more sort of um, kind of psychological conflict, things like that, it just becomes very dour. And this Robin Hood is not dour. (laughs) He loves life. You know, he loves doing good. He loves helping people. He loves outsmarting, you know, the, the rich guys. And, um, like he's so playful, you know, there's so, so much mischief and so much life to him, um, that it doesn't become boring. You know, it's just, 
it's so entertaining to see him playing with the villains and you get, you know, a little bit stressed. Is he going to be able to get out of it? But of course he is, you know, he's Robin Hood, you know, and that's, I, I think that's the thing that really makes this movie work is all those different elements that just make him so engaging to watch. You mentioned how he's inspirational. And one of the notes that I wrote down was, I'm pretty sure 90% of this movie is Robin yelling things to get an enthusiastic response from his followers. <laughs> there are so many scenes where he's like, blah, 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 blah. Am I right? And everyone's like, like, just like it happens over and over and over. And that's not a criticism. I just like, I just thought it was funny how many times that happened. And I also wrote a note that was, robin's ha 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 like there were so many moments he's like he's like a jolly santa claus he just bursts out laughing i literally i remember when i wrote down ha 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 i almost thought i should write down ho 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 like he sounds like santa claus yeah he really does and I don't know. I don't know if if this was something that you picked up on Geneva or if this was just kind of part of my experience, but I also noticed that a lot of this movie and it's not just Robin Hood, it's kind of everyone. People talk very fast. Sometimes they say things and I'm like I literally need to rewind because I have no idea what you just said. I, I don't know. It felt like minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it felt like almost Amy Sherman Palladino, like Gilmore Girls, great talking or something. I was like, I don't. That was so fast. <laughs> but also, you're a minor character, so it couldn't have been that important, right? I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, oh, I also have to, while we're on the topic, just have to show some appreciation for the scene in which um, Robin crashes the party that uh, Prince John and Sir Guy are holding at the castle. This is very early on in the movie where, and it's such a, it's such an, a cool image where they hear, oh, Sir Robin of Loxley's outside and they open the doors and he's got this whole deer carcass on his shoulders and he's beating up guards with it. And then he turns around and just swaggers into that, that castle room and plops it down the table. And it's, Oh, it's just so good. I just, I love that scene so much. The, how, you know, he's so cocky and impudent and he's like, yeah, I can get out of this. I've just decided to stroll in and tell you that I'm going to organize a revolt against you. And Prince John at this point does not realize how much of a threat he is. So he's all overly polite. He's like, oh, please sit down, pull up a chair. It's fine. And, you know, and then they basically both state their, their two positions. And it also contains... The line I love, which I think is the best line in the movie, where um, I think it's Maid Marian, or no, maybe it's Prince John. I don't remember who. But someone says to Robin, you speak treason. And Robin goes, fluently. <laughs> and it's just such a good line. <laughs> uh, and I love it so much. Anyway. Um, <laughs> did any- So. Yes, go. So you made me think of something while you're talking about, like, because this whole scene, right, they're obviously gathering around food and all that stuff. this is i think i almost wonder if they did this as a joke i feel like they probably did but there is so much i I don't know if it's chicken legs or turkey legs they're way too big to be chicken legs i feel like but there are so many mutton which is sheep yeah it's like there is just so much eating of legs and there's a whole moment towards the end where there's like a close-up shot of this 
cook or baker or something picking up this chicken that's just come out of the oven and like carrying it over for it's like we don't need that shot like that does not need to be there but yes it does because this movie is all about the meat <laughs> like, oh my, yeah it's so just like, like a so recurring much motif yeah oh my gosh yeah absolutely <clears throat> so anyway um yeah so robin faces down sir john sir john tries to capture him but he manages to escape um which is pretty impressive um there's a nice nice little shot of um you know, as Sir John is talking, the guards are kind of getting into position and Ron, uh, Robin is kind of watching them through the corner of his eyes and you see him kind of calculating the best way to make his escape. He manages to do it. He rides off. And then um, there's just a section of the long section of the movie where he's basically recruiting his uh, little, little group of friends. Uh, he first comes across uh, Little John, who is, uh, you know, ironic name because Little John is huge. And there's that great scene where they're both on a bridge <laughs> trying to cross and they decide to do some sort of bow staff fight uh, for re no real reason, apart from just wanting to show off, I guess. Um, but um, little John bests Robin and sends him into the water and Robin is delighted by that. And that's another thing I love about his character is he's like, yeah, I love it when uh, I find people who can do things better than me. This is great. Um but yeah, so so Robin starts to amass a following. He recruits Little John. He recruits Friar Tuck, um, and he gathers a whole bunch of peasants to a um, clearing in the forest. And he gives this speech about how, you know, they're being oppressed by um, by these uh, you know taxes that are overburdening them. And um, Prince John is is trying to usurp the throne, and you know. They need to remain loyal to King Richard and um, and that basically they're all going to gang together and um, help the oppressed and the weak and um, fight back against the tyranny that they're experiencing. And this is one point in the movie where, um, and this is kind of my little personal thing that I love to do, which is watch all movies from the late 1930s and early 1940s in the context of World War II. But this movie came out in 1938, um, you know, one year. And when, and when Geneva says watch all the movies that came out in the late 1930s and the early 1940s in the context of blah, blah, blah she literally means all of the movies released in the late 1930s and early 1940s. You guys think I'm kidding. Literally go look at her letterbox. Oh. <laughs> not enough of them. Not enough. There are many, many gaps. But anyway. Um, but yeah, so this movie came out a year before world war two started so audiences would have been very very familiar with the rise of fascism that was happening around the world in particular hitler and the nazis in germany and i was so struck by i mean just this movie in general i think is you know it, it is very much can be read as a sort of anti-fascist you know just generally resist tyranny and help those who are weaker rather than preying on them. 
But in particular, I was very struck on this watching by when Robin leads the people in this oath, he puts up his hand in a way that is kind of reminiscent of a Nazi salute, but the intent of it is to I do something. I picked up on that too. Okay, yes. I'm glad it's not just me. The intent I was like, of it's it... not meant to be like that. Yeah. It looks like Heil Hitler. <laughs> yeah, I believe he's holding up the wrong hand. I believe it's the left hand instead of the right, but... The idea behind it is he's leading them in this salute, but it's a salute to something that's completely opposite to Nazi ideals. You know, it's, um, you know, value the and protect the weak, you know, um, it's resist tyranny and oppression as opposed to giving into it. Um, so I just thought that was kind of a nice little, nice little thing in there and very much a reminder that the sort of message of this movie is one that is evergreen. You know, there's tyranny in England in the Middle Ages and also in Europe in the 1940s and many other times and places. You know, we always, we're always in need of some sort of a Robin Hood figure, you know, some sort of inspirational figure who can, you know, not be the savior of the people, but be inspiring the people to do what is right. Jadima, I, I look forward to the day when on this podcast, we I can suggest that we watch a movie that is uh, a Spanish film that either takes place during or reflects the realities of the Spanish Civil War, because then I can be like, oh, so this is the history of Spain and how the Civil War affected this and yes. Franco did this and how the <laughs> artists retaliated in this way, but it was subtle and blah 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 and the people responded in this way and blah <laughs> oh please oh that would be so much fun i mean anything by a, a lot of uh guillermo del toro's um like isn't um pan's labyrinth oh. set around um in the yeah, spanish civil it, war right before or something like that it is but girl i'm talking about like some 1940 <laughs> like spanish movies there i've seen spanish films from all decades if you believe if you study spanish and film in college <laughs> you will watch lots of spanish movies and uh the film history in spain goes back a lot farther than people think but anyway that's a huge tangent but yes <laughs> yeah no that would be awesome oh that'd be so good um <laughs> yes yeah, so robin hood is now um he's got his band of merry men he's got his friends and now the movie focuses a bit on the romance aspect so robin met uh, Lady Marion, who's a ward of King Richard, um, and she is sort of tentatively in an arranged, supposed to be in an arranged marriage with Sir Guy of Gisborne, but Marion's not super thrilled with that idea. Um, but Marion, at the beginning, is very, you know, she's very resistant to Robin. She's just like, oh, he's just, he's an outlaw, you know, he's a just a thief, you know, just a, a criminal, like, you know, um, you know, he, he's he's not someone worth, you know, spending my time with. But then um, Robin and his merry men, they ambush a uh, treasury, like a they're transporting um, tax revenue to um, add to the treasury. Theoretically, you know, this money is supposed to be going toward the ransom for King Richard. Um, but of course, the Prince John wants to keep it for himself. But um while they're captured, Robin and his men, um, basically, they dress up um, the the men that they captured, particularly the Sheriff of Nottingham and Sir Guy of Gisborne. They're forced to wear all of these rags and they throw a banquet. And so there's this um, just huge feast that they all enjoy together. 
and Marion begins to soften toward Robin. Robin takes her to uh, see some of the peasants and she sees the, the circumstances that they're living in, you know, how poor and thin and hungry and tired they are and how grateful they are for to Robin for everything that he's been doing to protect and provide for them. And she realizes that she's been, she's completely wrong about him. You know, he's not just some sort of, um, you know, criminal who's out to do this things for these things for his own enrichment. He actually is someone who, who cares about the, the people and they begin to fall in love. Um, so, um, yeah. So, and as I mentioned, I really, really love the character of Lady Marion. Um, Olivia de Havilland, of course, is a, a wonderful actress and she really manages to make Marion not just a sort of two-dimensional damsel in distress. You know, you really see that she's this intelligent woman who's, um, you know, she's she's forceful. She's She has her convictions. Um, she's willing to act on her beliefs. Um, and the the two of them just, I think, have a really sweet chemistry. And you really see, you know, as the movie goes on, that they're, they're well matched for each other. You know, they both um, are able to, um, you know, they both have skills and strengths that they bring to the table. And um, yeah, I just, I really love the, the romance between them and the character of Marianne and what she's able to contribute um, and as I mentioned too, like I, I really love the fact that the movie is structured around Marion's eyes being opened and her coming to, you know, changing from just sort of a wealthy woman who's very divorced from the actual realities of the world um, and what you know she's been told her entire life, and her eyes being opened to the fact that um, there are people who are less fortunate than her, people who are suffering from oppression and injustice, and that she needs to, she can't just sit back. She needs to do something about it. So yeah, Tatum, any thoughts on the character of Fiend Marion or Olivia de Havilland's performance? Maybe not specifically this section of the movie, but just in general. Yeah, I I enjoyed her character. I, I, I felt like she, I feel like a lot of this movie was very, in my opinion, everyone was kind of over the top. You know, the the villain is very much so a villain. And then Robin Hood is like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, I just felt like everyone was very over the top and loud. And not that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's kind I of found... the acting styles of the time, that very theatrical um, style. Yeah, but I found Marion to be very subtle. Um, but not in a way that made her that that diminished her importance or her relevance at all. Um, I, I actually think it's the opposite. I think it made her stick out to me even more because she's able to command the screen, even though she is not screaming at you to <laughs> to like pay attention to her. Um, so yeah, I I really liked I liked that character. I liked the performance, um, and I also thought the chemistry between her and Robin Hood was. Um, I felt like it, it was pretty real feeling. Um, I find that romances are kind of harder for me to relate to because the acting is just so different in the 1930s um, that than they would be like in the before trilogy nowadays, for example. So it's a little bit harder for me to connect with them. Um, but that being said, I did feel that there was chemistry between the two. Um, and 
I remember there were a few specific moments with the two of them that I really enjoyed. I really liked the scene when um when Robin Hood like climbs over the window into her into her quarters or whatever you call it. I just felt like I don't know. I was going to say it's kind of cliche to have someone like climb up the castle and go through your window, but maybe in 1938 it wasn't cliche. I don't know. But um but at the same time it was very romantic and I really liked <laughs> I found the, the character of Bess to be funny and I really liked She's how great. when Marion like when Marion asked her to leave, she was clearly disappointed. Like she wanted to stay in the room to kind of see what was gonna happen and all of that stuff. And Marion was just like, No, no, you you could go and Bess just thought, Oh, okay. Mary had I'll. a bit of like, Mom, leave me alone energy. <laughs> yeah. Like, Let me and my boyfriend be alone, you know. Yeah, Bess is super interesting. I feel like she's got this whole other life going on that we only get glimpses into. Like the the fact when she slaps that guy and then kiss or no, did she kiss him and then slap I think him she slaps or whatever? Him and then kisses him, yeah. The yeah, I'm just thinking, what is going on with this Bess lady? She's she's got her whole other story going yeah. on. I wanna I wanna know what she's doing. Well, as she says, um, uh, she's had the bands out five times, so she's oh, a popular lady. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, but anyway, yeah, I I enjoyed her character. I thought um I thought that she was a really good she was really good balance in comparison to everything else. I liked that a lot of the other main characters were very just expressive. Not that she wasn't expressive, but she was more of a subtle type of performance. So, yeah, I I liked that a lot. I thought that it was um they they played off each other very well. Yeah. And I feel like I could see them. I feel like I could see them being together in real life. Like these different types of people, they it's it's a good it's a good match. Like you said, Geneva. I feel like they just they go well together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Sir Guy and the Sheriff and Prince John together come up with the idea of capturing Robin Hood by sponsoring an archery competition, um, with the idea that you know. Robin Hood is very vain about his the fact that he's the best archer in England, and this will lure him out, um, which works. Robin does show up in the world's weakest disguise, which kind of cracks me up. Um, of course, he wins the competition. Um, I'm sad I didn't get to see the disguise. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just his... Um, I mean, he's basically just wearing his normal clothes, except with different colors. They're like gray and red. <laughs> But like he, his face isn't covered. His or face anything? is not covered. No. Nope. What? <laughs> he has a hat that's sort of at an angle, so it's kind of covering one eye a little bit. But that's about it. <laughs> that's all you need, Geneva. Yeah. If you've got a hat, there's the middle ages. There's no photographs. <laughs> but of course, as soon as he walks on, people, people don't have eyeballs either. Yeah. People can't see. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes. Anyway, there's a great sort of um, you know scene as he's you know, going through the competition, he's about to win. He can see, he knows that he's walking into a trap and there's a scene like there was earlier where he's kind of looking out the side of his eye at the guards getting in place, ready to capture him. And clearly he thinks, you know, um, I fought my way out once I can do it again, but this time it doesn't work. And he is actually captured. Um, he's thrown in jail. And this is what spurs Marion to finally take the first step into helping Robin. And so she's the one who, she goes to the Merry, Merry Men, um, and she comes up with the plan to free Robin. And the plan works, and Robin is freed um, as he goes to see Marion, as you said, in her chambers. And they have a very sweet love scene. Um, 
which I liked a lot. But yeah, so um, with all of that, then we go to um, King Richard, who is back in England. Um, so King Richard, I think I mentioned before, but if I didn't, um, he is the rightful king of England. And he's been away fighting the Crusades, but he was captured. And so this whole time, Prince John has been like, trying to take over the country on the pretext of, um, you know, well, while my brother's away, I'm going to rule the country. And then he's trying to find excuses to keep his brother away. And then finally, he's like, I'm just going to assassinate my brother so I can be king. But so the um, classic sibling story. Very, very yes, classic, classic, classic <laughs> <laughs> sibling squabbling over the throne. Um, you, you try, you try to just resist. And then eventually it's like, well, guess the only way out is just kill him. Yep. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? Um, yep. Geneva and I are actually recording this podcast from prison. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, I don't think I ever told you this, but I was listening to a book on tape. That you went to prison? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't I tell you? <laughs> About my time in the slammer? <laughs> But no, I was just going to say, um, I was listening to this book on tape about the Wars of the Roses, which is, um, this is a later time period. This is like the 1400s, I think. But this is this English um, sort of long lasting war that broke out between these two noble families in England and all the nobles had to like pick sides and they were squabbling over who would get the throne and things like that. And it's, um, it was very, it was used by George R. R. Martin, when he as inspiration when he was writing all the politics of Game of Thrones, and you can really tell. So, if you're um, ever in a, in the mood to look up some I love real that. life history, yeah, look into the Wars of the Roses. English monarchy is fascinating. Hmm. Uh, anyway. Okay. Um, but yes, diff- different time period than this one. Yeah, I should probably learn some uh, some real world politics rather than more westerosi or other fantastical (laughs) (laughs) histories well you can learn both for the record i do know history things no i know (laughs) well clearly you know know spanish history which i know zilch about um i know that there was a spanish civil war because i was reading a book about indeed uh, American history, and they mentioned that a lot of Americans would were going over to help with the Spanish Civil War, um, which mm. I found really fascinating. But apart from that, yes. I know nothing about Spanish history. Oh, there's so much there, but I I will not go into it because that is n- literally not what this podcast is about. <laughs> yes, well, we can do that off. We we can do that off the mic. We can do it off mic. Sounds good. Uh, okay, um, so we're we're kind of wrapping up the plot here. Um, so King Richard is back in England. Um, it is discovered that he is in England and Prince John sends an assassin to kill him. But Marion overhears. So Marion has, Robin asked her to run away with him and get married and live in the forest. And she wants to because she loves him. But she says, you know, your cause, basically your cause is now my cause. And I can do much more good by staying here and actively working um, behind the scenes to help you. And so she gets to do that. She overhears about this assassination plot to kill Richard. And she manages to get word out um, that this is happening. But um, she is discovered and she's arrested and she's sentenced to death. So um, much the Miller, who is um, one of Robin's men, he is able to um, cut off the assassin and, and 
prevent him from killing Richard. And I actually really like the way this is filmed because they, there's this really neat little action scene that much gets where he, he comes upon the attacker and they're struggling and they're fighting. And then it fades out without actually showing the resolution. And we have another scene and then we cut back and much is on the ground and he's really badly wounded and we don't know right away whether or not he succeeded. But then I think it's Will who finds him and Much is like, don't worry, he's not going to kill anyone. So it's just this nice little moment of heroism for a character who's mostly just a, a sidekick or a comedic relief. Um, but yeah, so Robin um, kind of randomly comes across Richard and tries to shake him down <laughs> because he thinks he's just, you know, another one of the... Richard is in disguise and he thinks he's just a corrupt clergyman. Um, but he discovers about this assassination plot and he's like, that's okay. All right, we're going to go and we're going to protect Richard. We're loyal to Richard. And then Richard's like, all right, don't worry about it. I'm here. And he reveals himself. I'm me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Takes off his robe. There's the, you know, the Richard the Lionheart symbol on there. Um, and then the two of them basically team up. They pool all their resources and they go into the castle and they prevent King John or Prince John from being coronated as King and they rescue Maid Marian and all is well. Um, Robin has a really great sword fight with Sir Guy of Gisborne, which is just iconic and wonderful because Basil Rathbone is an amazing sword fighter and he and Errol Flynn, um, they just, they look so great together. The cinematography, there's this one great shot where the camera kind of, pans so you see the shadows of the two of them against the pillar fighting and then it moves back and you see them again and that that shot that idea was used in a lot of other movies it just it looks so good it's so cool um but anyway sorry i'm talking a lot do you have any thoughts on this sort of latter part of the film um filmmaking or otherwise i i wanted to mention that I want to read you all of the separate bullet points that I wrote throughout this movie that had to do with the stunts. Oh, the first one is in all caps, the stunts. <laughs> the, the second one is the stunts of the men falling from the trees are insane. The The next one is I'm pretty sure all of the jumping onto the horses is real and therefore would not be allowed nowadays. Um, and then I have some outrageous stunts. <laughs> throwing full-size wooden bench tables over balconies. <laughs> just chucking furniture right and left. I just, I wanted to just, I wanted to note that like, I, th there's just so, yeah, the, stunt the stunts really stood amazing. out to me in this movie. I, I think that it's really impressive, but I also think that, you know, I do think there was animal cruelty going on, but um, I, I, I love the, I did really, really like the choreography of this kind of, a climactic battle that's happening between these two people. And I thought the choreography was, I thought the choreography was strong. The cinematography, there were some really great shots in there. Um, but Geneva, don't, don't kill me. I will say throughout this movie, there are several scenes that I'm like, this is way too long. This is way too long. It does not need to be this long. This, cause this whole sequence kind of before the battle actually breaks out of them just, going through this procession to enter into this. It was so long of them just walking into the room. <laughs> and then this last fight again, like there's, I love the choreography. There's some great shots, but it's also like seven minutes long, which coming from a movie that is quite short, 
Seven minutes is very long, which I don't know if it's actually seven minutes, but it felt like it was forever. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, this is um, unrelated to that, but I just have to say a word in favor of how much I love the script just in general, because there are so many little witty lines and jokes um, that I just really enjoy. You know, the characters are just constantly teasing each other or constantly saying these kind of beautiful, very theatrical things, um, which, yeah, it's, it's just, it's very enjoyable to me. Um, and also, oh, so, oh no, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of funny little witty lines and jokes, I was desperately hoping that you would put this as your opening quote for the movie or for this episode, but you didn't, that's fine. But there, I was like, whoa, that is really, really saucy for 1938. The last line of the movie, when Robin Hood says, may I enjoy all of your commands with equal pleasure, sire. <laughs> a great I line. wrote that line down. I was like, that is really, really saucy. Like even nowadays, I feel like that's like, whoa. Girl, you because have not seen like that many 1930s. <laughs> I, I don't know but yes I, I it is very like saucy very, and delightful <laughs> like it, it's very almost explicitly saying like I will enjoy like I will take pleasure in this woman but also like you commanded me to do it I don't know it's, it's, it's like it's a really weird dynamic but also I kind of love it because I feel like it's so I, I don't know I just feel like it's a great final line for that character just like his final yeah i still got it guys you know like mm -hmm. I, I, I we might have just like won this rebellion but i'm still the same person that i was i still got my jokes i still got yep. all now i just have my woman and apparently a command from my king to uh take pleasure in her which hey there's nothing wrong with that yeah i mean absolutely um yeah i love that line <laughs> so good with the little um was it was it even in the running for you for the opening quote or no? I didn't. I'm yeah, I didn't think of it. Um, okay. But I was, you know, it's always, it's always difficult to figure out what direction you want to go for the opening quote. I feel like so many of the movies, the, the lines in this movie that I love, they're like, they're little quips. And so they wouldn't really work outside of context. And so I was trying to find one that's a bit more, you know, in line with the theme of, you know, his sort of you know, his mission to stand up against oppression and whatnot. But there's so many little like funny witty quotes that I would have loved to do, do but I just, I don't think they would have made sense at the beginning. But anyway, there's the, the whole scene where he's uh, fight, fighting with, um, doing the staff fighting with uh, little John. And he's like, little John's like, oh, I should give you payment for how much I'm teaching you today. And then Robin gets a hit in. He's like, oh, here's something on account. And then little John's like, here's your change and just knocks him off the bridge. Like, <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I would have loved this movie as a kid. I feel like I would have thought it was the coolest thing ever. It's 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 got a lot of great jokes. And yeah, it's just it's very entertaining. And it's very, like I said in the beginning, this movie is very fun. It's very fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, everything ends happily. You know, Richard is back on the throne and he's made this promise to restore justice to the kingdom. All the traitors are laying down their arms. 
Um, Robin, as you noted, has been ordered by royal command to marry uh, Lady Marion, and he's going to enjoy it. And so the the two of them run off, and that is the end. Um, One thing that actually occurred to me while we were talking about the final fight is just just a word in praise too of the villains of this movie um basil rathbone is just he's just one of the all-time greats um i always enjoy seeing him in movies um he was in captain blood with errol flynn they had a great sword fight in that movie as well he plays an over-the-top french pirate which is great (laughs) um but he's also very well known um in his career, you know, he played a lot of villains. He was a villain as well in The Court Jester. Um, he had a great sword fight with Danny Kaye there. But he was also very well known for playing Sherlock Holmes. Um, he played Sherlock Holmes in a bunch of standalone movies. And he's got this great sort of long face um, that really lends itself well to that kind of sort of British aristocratic, kind of smarter than everyone else, um, slightly sinister, but also really compelling. And yeah, just really love Basil Rathbone. Um, I forget the name of the guy who plays the Sheriff of Nottingham, but I find him really funny. <laughs> he's just so incompetent. And he's always, oh, yes, of course. Uh, if I could only reach my sword, I would surely strike him down. And everyone else is just like, yeah, sure, whatever, dude. <laughs> um, and then Claude Rains as um, Prince John is just, you know, he's just so hateable. It's great. But any thoughts on uh, any of the villains? I know you don't know any of their names, but um, just... I literally could not name one of them if you paid me. <laughs> and I'm not kidding when I say that. It's like I, I literally have like the IMDB list up over here of like all the characters and the actors. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't even know which of these characters are. Like, <laughs> it says their names. And I still I know that Robin Hood is Robin Hood. And I know that Marion is Marion. Everyone else. I'm like, I you could be a villain, a villain. You could be. A, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have too many comments on that. I just, I definitely liked, I just liked the comedy that existed within this movie. Um, it sometimes it is a little bit, it is a little bit much. I do get annoyed sometimes with just large groups of men repeatedly being like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed the dynamic that this group had, and and I liked how. Um, I don't know. I, I just liked how it showed that Robin Hood just created a vibe amongst his people, of, if you can call them his people, like his followers of, you know, we're all doing something that's very difficult, but we're also going to laugh in the midst of it and we're going to find joy. And um, and yeah, I, I liked I liked being able to being able to see that. So and I think this is a really nice uh, turnaround <laughs> because last week we talked about Straight Outta Compton, which is like a pretty intense uh movie yep like it's almost the exact opposite of this movie <laughs> yep. and ever- could not be I mean, further <laughs> and so yeah so i like i like that we're following up that movie with something that's genuinely just fun and lighthearted and and um yeah the, it's just a bunch of people you know living their lives and finding joy in the midst of struggle and i think that that's that's great and it's admirable and it's fun to watch yeah, so absolutely and there's you know it really it doesn't to, to the extent that it can, both for the time period and for the genre of the movie, you know, it it doesn't shy away from the fact that there is darkness to it. You know, there are a lot of montages of just peasants being harassed and manhandled and arrested and beaten and tortured by 
the guards, like, you know, it's, it's not shy about what's going on. Um, and so I think, like you say, that, that does make the, the humor and the sort of joy and laughter to what Robin Hood's mission is, you know, to what he's trying to create all the more powerful, you know, for him, it's, it's not just about, um, kind of restoring to Richard to the throne. It's about this vision for the England that he wants to live in, you know, this England where the, the vulnerable are protected and valued and everyone can, you know, have what they need and people are in community with each other and they enjoy each other and they, you know, affectionately tease each other and, um, value each other's strengths and contributions. And it's just this really beautiful, attractive vision for how the world can be. And yeah, I think that's one of the things that's so powerful and so timeless about this movie is that it is um, kind of, you know, this sort of inspirational and and beautiful and fun, you know, (laughs) vision of like what, what we want the world to be and how we can act and and try and make it um, more like that. All right. So um, with all of that said, so this movie was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, It won three Oscars. It won for Best Score, um, which is highly deserved. I really, really love the score of this movie. And um, there's actually a really good YouTube video out there by this YouTube channel called Sideways. he the the youtuber goes into the use of leitmotif or leitmotif in robin hood um and it's really interesting so if you're interested in score or interested in learning more about the score for this movie i would highly recommend that video uh it also won for best editing one for best art direction which is very well deserved (laughs) again as we said um some of the 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 use of color and scale models and um uh, production design and things in this movie just look fantastic um this movie was inducted into the registry of the national film board of preservation sorry yep Geneva, can i just say something real oh, quick go for it. i just thought about this um i found it interesting that this says best art direction which i'm assuming at some point they switch it from art direction to production design um but but it makes me think about the way that film crews break down now and if it was still like that back then. Because now on film productions, you have the production designer and the art director and they're two different positions. And obviously, like, they, they work together, but they're also – they're two separate positions. So I find oh, that interesting. interesting. Like, at what point was it art director first and then they added on production designer or did they both exist i don't know mm-hmm. i just i thought that was interesting i and it came to my attention because this one best art direction i was like oh hmm well, that's really interesting anyway, that's maybe too- there was a production yeah, design a separate production design award at the time i don't really know what is the what is the role of the art director as um distinct from the production designer so the production designer they're they're the ones who like design the idea of the set so it's like okay this is you know the church and we're gonna have benches here and windows here and yada 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 and then the art director they they kind of so the production designer I think tends to work a little bit more closely with the set deck department and then the art director tends to work more with the construction and paint side of things Mm -hmm. um so I'm sure that, I mean, I don't know if anyone's listening to this that works on film sets, but if there is anyone that is like an art director or a production designer, they're probably like, everything you just said was wrong. (laughs) 
Um, Cause I've never been a production designer or an art director. I've only worked with them and kind of observed what they do from the outside. But um, I think that that's kind of how it breaks down. Like the production designer is the, the art director works underneath the production designer. So the production designer is like their boss. So I think the production designer is more of like the larger scale of like, this is the room, this is the idea. And then they kind of delegate, fill it with, you know, whatever. And the art director kind of works with like the, the construction side of things. Okay. Anyway. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Set designers are, or yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Blah, 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 no, blah. no, that's now okay. I'm just it's trying cool. to like, <laughs> I did not know that. Now I'm just trying to like talk and make sure that I'm not saying something wrong. Cause I don't want it to be like, Oh, she says she works on film sets, but actually all of her information is incorrect. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> this is just my experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to break in for corrections, uh, feel free. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to shoot me super mad emails saying like, Tatum, you're wrong. You should quit the film industry because you don't know what you're talking about. And I'll say, you're right. I don't know what I'm talking about, but also no, I'm not quitting. <laughs> well, all of that sounds reasonable to me. Uh, I would not be able to tell if you were wrong. So I'm just going to take you at your word. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah. So in 1995, this movie was inducted into the Library Congress's uh, National uh, Board of Film Preservation. Um, so kind of declared a significant historical film. Um, this movie, <laughs> for a movie that's 85 years old, it's kind of difficult to go off of. 100%? What? Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. There is 50 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment, and it is 100% fresh. Um, and then Metacritic, it's uh, 97%. But yeah, so obviously this is a super old movie. So, you know, it, it has its status as a classic. Like, there are not a whole lot of people who are going <laughs> to be out there saying this is actually, this movie is trash. Um, at the time, though, it was received overall very positively by critics. Um, it was a hit for Warner Brothers, uh, made money. Um, I looked, took a look around. There's, you know, not a whole lot of <laughs> reviews from that time out there, but there are a few. Um, one that I found is a variety review. Um, it says... It is cinematic pageantry at its best, a highly imaginative telling of folklore and all the hues of technicolor. So uh, very positive there. Uh, Roger Ebert, Ebert wrote something about the movie in 2003. I think when the movie first went on to DVD, I think that was why he, he wrote about it. But I, you know, I always love what <laughs> Roger Ebert's reviews. And I thought he made some, he had some really, um, Good writing about this movie. So he said, The Avengers of Robin Hood was made with sublime innocence and breathtaking artistry at a time when its simple values rang true. In these ironic, in these cynical days when swashbucklers cannot be presented without an ironic subtext, this great 1938 film exists in an eternal summer of bravery and romance. We require no Freudian subtext, no revisionist analysis. It is enough that Robin wants to rob the rich, pay the poor, and defend the Saxons, not against all Normans, only the bad ones. Um, so I thought that was very, very well stated. Uh, he also had a point about um, the Robin and Marion um, love plot. He says that their scenes are so simple and direct, they made me reflect that modern love scenes in action movies are somehow too realistic. They draw too much on psychology and not enough on romance and fable. I thought that was a really interesting point. That's like, 
It's like the opposite of what I said before. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I can connect with the more realistic stuff, like the before trilogy, even though that's not entirely realistic, more so than I can this 1938 thing. But apparently Roger Debert and I feel love in different ways. Yeah. Well, I think there's something to be said for something that is... Like there are reasons that folklore and mythology endure for so long, and it's not because they have all of this psychological depth. It's because they speak to kind of deeper, larger, more archetypal impulses and emotions and motivations that people have. And so, you know, when those are accessed well, you know, when they're displayed well, as I think they are in this movie, by two actors who are very charismatic and sensitive in their portrayals and have real chemistry, then you can kind of tap into that, you know, that and, and, and feel it, you know? Um, and there's a sort of larger, you know, mythological, you know, aspect to it that you're kind of entering into, um, which is not, you know, not every movie needs to be that. Like there also needs to be space for something like the before trilogy where it's much more, detailed and granular and psychological and there's this kind of realism to it and that's why you tap into it you know we can we can access characters through different avenues i think and so i love this movie because it's doing this one thing that you know movies nowadays don't really do very often and i think it's a thing that's very in this case very effective and i would love to see done more but it certainly doesn't need to be the only thing (laughs) that movies do um so anyway, yeah, uh, a little bit of uh, Roger Ebert's thoughts, um, which are, as always, very, um, very good. Um, so with all of that said, any, sorry, any wrap up or not uh, any thoughts on anything else of those uh, two critics quotes that I, I read before we move on to the part of the movie that moved us? No, I just, I'm glad that it, I'm very glad that it won the award for Best Art Direction. I think that that was extremely deserved, even though I probably haven't, well, I don't know who else was nominated in that category. Maybe I have seen some of those films, but I don't know. I feel like this was just very, very, very strong. So I'm glad it it won that. It was well-deserved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which now I'm I'm very curious to see what else was nominated that year. Anyway, um, all right, so... Let's talk about, well, I will share the part of this movie that moved me, the thing that kind of cemented it in my heart and mind, um, which is always is a little bit difficult to pin down because there's a couple things that come immediately to mind. But I think I just, I really connect, as I said before, with Marion's storyline in this movie and her kind of emotional journey from a sort of... um, sort of, you know, sitting back and remaining willfully ignorant to discovering larger and darker truths about the world and wanting to do something about it. I I think it's a really beautifully done. And I, I love this, you know, the way this movie is able to create this hero who is genuinely heroic and inspirational and kind of draws you into that, that larger stru- um, struggle. Um, I think it's well done, but at the same time, I also love the, the color and life that this movie has, you know, as we've said, it is, it's very funny. It's very witty. It's very, 
um, it's very exciting. Like I think, you know, minus maybe one or two scenes that, you know, could have been a little bit long. I think generally speaking, it's very well paced. It's very action packed. Things move along um, quickly. And I think that makes it really timeless. And it's so much fun to watch. It's so, um, yeah, it's so funny and charming and, and um, just, it really enjoys being a movie and the characters really enjoy <laughs> being, um, you know, playing their roles. Like Robin Hood loves being Robin Hood, <laughs> you know? And that's one of the things when you watch an action movie, you want to feel like the, the character is having fun in a way because, you know, you want to put yourself in their shoes. And um, I think that really helps you to connect with that movie and then connect also with the larger themes. So, yeah, that's not really one moment, but that's kind of some of the, the overall vibes of the movie I, I really connect to. So, yeah, was there anything about this movie that really connected with you? Um, I mean, I, I feel like I just sound like a broken record, but I was... I was just really impressed with how well made this movie was considering the year that it came out. I mean, the sets are really impressive. The wardrobe, even though it clearly, you know, was made a long time ago, it it still looks great. Um, I just feel like I, I wonder what the budget was for this movie and how that translates to um, now with inflation, everything. Cause I feel like this must've been a high, yeah. budget I mean because I just feel like you can see the money on screen like it was utilized very well I mean there's so many background actors and so many things that are done practically and there's some really impressive cinematography of like cameras filming horses galloping at full speed and I was like how did they do this <laughs> in 1938 how many camera operators operators died getting run over by horses like I don't know Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's probably going to be the main thing that I remember about it. Because like I said, the plot, the plot wasn't bad, but it, it it wasn't really what engaged me. It was more so how the film looked Mm -hmm. and the artistry that went into making it come to be. Um, so yeah, I just think it's incredibly, incredibly impressive. Um, so, and I'm very glad it was in color and not black and white. So I think that's kind of the, the main, the main thing that I appreciate about it and what I'll remember. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember reading when I was doing the research for this, that this was the, I think most expensive movie that Warner brothers had ever made at the time. I don't remember what the actual figure was, um, but I wonder how they managed to get all that money really splashed out. Well, they're, they're a movie studio. They've got a lot of money (laughs) lying around. No, no. I mean, like, how did how did this film get that money from Warner Brothers to have it be made? Oh, like but what? also old old time Hollywood was very different in terms of how it functioned and things got fun. So maybe oh, yeah. It's different. Yeah. I mean, studio system, you know, if this was a movie that they believed in and they were putting their A plus actors and directors and everyone toward it, then, you know, it was going to be an, an A list production, which clearly this was, by the way, um, just for context um this movie came out the year before wizard of oz and gone with the wind so for context in terms of you know color cinematography at the time um this was the slightly before those two but around the same time period i don't think i ever realized those two movies came out in the same year yeah I know. That's, that's crazy right yeah yeah so wizard of oz has a sort of timeless quality just because it's so 
iconic, you know, like it's, it's rewatched so often. I feel like it does seem strange to me sometimes to think that it came out in the thirties. Speaking of movies that have been rewatched often. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to reveal uh, next week's movie? Yeah. So next week, uh, speaking of movies that are very highly watched and also movies that are fun for the whole family. (laughs) Next week, uh, next week I have chosen for us to discuss the film, the sound of music. Um, yeah, I, I'm very excited for this discussion. It's a movie that I have seen. I can't even count how many times I'm sure Geneva's seen it same as many times as I have. Um, so It'll be a fun discussion. Geneva is, uh, she is the musical lady. So it's, I'm excited to kind of dive into a musical with her for the first time on this show. And so, yeah, come, we're uh, hoping that you guys will come back and listen to that one with us. Great pick. I'm so excited about this one. Ah, yeah. Julie Andrews and Christopher Palmer. What more do you need? Spend five (laughs) minutes on, (laughs) conservatively, we could spend a lot more time on their chemistry alone (laughs) um all right yeah so very excited about that one um and that's it for now um bye everybody see you guys next week thanks for listening if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.